Thank you so much. Now, can I just say, next time that PJ offers to sing, we need to get a proper chant going on. PJ, PJ, PJ. Okay, so next, next time he opens up that window of opportunity, we, we all need to jump through that window. I'm joking. Uh, so welcome. Good to have you here, uh, particularly if you're a visitor. So good to have you with us and uh, hope you are enjoying your morning. Uh, read this little story from... Uh, Monty Panasai, who's a cricketer, who's, uh, he was talking to his niece one day and she had been kind of trying to log into her Disney website address and she set up her password and her password for her Disney site was Mini Mickey Goofy Pluto. <laughs> and so Monty Panasai went to his niece and said, why, why, why did you put your password as Mini Mickey Goofy Pluto? She said, well, it said that I needed to have at least four characters. I thought it was brilliant. So there you go. Um, <laughs> keep trying. I will keep trying. Um, so we are kind of landing our series, which has been called Victorious Broadcast today, where we've been kind of looking at the, the message of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. And we're going to kind of land that this morning together. And just kind of before we get into that, I want to read you a quick story. Uh, how many of you know that reading good news is good for you? Yeah. Okay. And so uh, Carol and I were recently out in California where we were given this basically book of good news stories, which I have kind of been reading uh, most, most days where I can. And so I'll just read you this story. This is a true life story. And it's about Johnny, who writes a letter into the team uh, from the church. And he said, my name is Johnny. I'm in prison 100 miles away from my brother, who is in another prison. We're both in prison for committing a double murder in gang wars. I've been in many gang wars in prison. I've stabbed many people. And in fact, I was a practicing Satanist until last December. At that time, I received a two-week visit to my brother's prison where he has become a Christian and a leader in a school of transformation. I also accepted Jesus during that visit and my life has been forever changed. Brother Charlie's wife, Judy, mailed me a book called The Supernatural Ways of Royalty, but I didn't receive it. And so she mailed me a second copy. When both copies arrived at the same time, I decided to try and find someone who could study this book with me. The guy I tried to get, let's call him George, seemed rude and incredibly distant and said he wasn't interested. But he watched me a lot and I began to think he was rather strange. After weeks, he gradually changed his mind and agreed and so we studied the book together and became friends. During our friendship, he shared that his brother had been murdered and that he had taken a vow to avenge his brother's death. The problem was, now George had accepted Jesus, that created an inner conflict, and that's all he would say to me. Our relationship grew for six months until George was paroled. He then left a message for me with another inmate. George said, I was the one that had killed his brother. I was the one that he had vowed to kill. And during our friendship, and as it grew, he was struggling with what to do with his vow. But over the course of our friendship, he saw how much I had changed. He could see my hunger. He felt my shame, my repentance for what I'd done. He saw my heart, and he chose to forgive me. And he then wrote to his whole family to withdraw the hit that had been put out on my life, and also to forgive me. I could not believe this. I had received forgiveness from the ones that I had violated. 
I began to understand God has forgiven me as well and that I needed to forgive myself. I've never seen George again. Maybe I will someday. But God's love and forgiveness is so awesome and can't be compared to anything else. I pray everybody understands how far it reaches and how much it covers. Isn't that stunning? What a stunning story. I'll tell you, there's nowhere that's safe for you from Jesus. He can find you anywhere. Like literally, he can find you anywhere. And it doesn't matter if you think you have completely disqualified yourself from his love. He can still find you. He can still reach you. He still truly can forgive you. I tell you, what you decide to feed yourself on, the, the news, the, the, the information that you decide to fill your brain with day after day is incredibly important. And you know, we live in a, a day and age where you have 24 access to news and information. <laughs> Jack. How many of you know that Jack is really controlling the news from this <laughs> pulpit right now? You, you have 24 access to news and information. You know, now we're living the first time ever in history where the number of smartphones outnumbers the number of people on our planet. And apparently there are over 10 devices to every one person in this world. 10 pieces of technology for every individual on this planet. And every single day you have access, whether it's the Daily Mail, whether it's the Daily Telegraph, whether it's BBC Online, whether it's this news report, whether it's this bit of God TV or this bit of Christian literature, you have access to information pouring at you. And how many of you know the competition for your brains has never been hotter? It's never been hot. I mean, just look what happens in the next six weeks and the run-up to a general election. I tell you that the rugby scrum for your attention is going to be fully on. The question is, what are you going to choose to feed yourself with? Because the way it works in our world is that fear sells. Fear sells newspapers. Fear sells front-page reports. Fear is what sells websites. And so often what we feed ourselves, the diet that we have if we're not careful, is fear because fear attracts our attention and eventually it begins to persuade us. It begins to persuade us. Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, once said this, it's amazing that the amount of news that happens in the world every day always just exactly fits the newspaper. <laughs> just think about that. In other words, someone is always selling something from a certain point of view. And statistically, we live in the safest time ever in human history. And yet also, it's the most terrified. You ever stop to think why? You ever stop to think who's really controlling the earthly airwaves? And so often, if we're not careful, we begin to feed ourselves on Earth's news report. There's an interesting survey done recently by Facebook. Facebook, for a year, manipulated the newsfeed of 700,000 of its uh, users. And they did this to see the effect of the news that was filtered through on people's moods, on their opinion, on their perspective. And what they discovered, and this is not rocket science, the happier the newsfeed was, the happier people became. The more positive they became in their outlook. Because... Whatever you behold, you eventually become. So the question is, what are you beholding? What are you choosing to feed yourself with? What news report is the first news report in your brain as you get up in the morning? 
What's the first news report? You always become what you behold. And Smith Wigglesworth, the great Pentecostal preacher, he once said this, I've discovered that when I read the newspaper, I come out dirtier than when I went in. But when I read the scriptures, I come out cleaner than when I went in. And I love the feeling of being clean. Now, I'm not advocating not reading the news. But what I'm advocating is this. Make sure you hear the most important news report before any others. Make sure you get heaven's perspective on what's happening on this planet. Get his viewpoint on things. Let your brain be shaped by the good news system that's coming out of the heavenly airwaves. Because what happened on that first Easter Sunday as Jesus rose from the dead, this wasn't just a a news headline for a one time only. This was a cosmic changing headline that utterly shapes our reality now that we're Christians. And if you were to tap into the radio waves of heaven, the newspaper headline on this morning's front page from heaven is this, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. The king has come back. The king has been crowned with many crowns. The king is now seated on a throne. The king is ruling. The king is reigning. There is good news coming because Jesus has come. If you were to tap into the good news every day, that is what you would hear. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus is meant to shape our perspective on all of life. It changes the way that we think. And so what I want to do today is just talk a little bit about the nature of a resurrection gospel and how this shapes the way that we think. And so we're just going to read quickly a passage that we read last week when Mary and some other women came to the tomb of Jesus on that first Easter Sunday. And here's what we read in Matthew verse 28. Verse 5, we'll just cut in there. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen, just as he said he would. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly... Jesus himself met them. All right, he said. Hello. How you doing? What's going on? They came to him. They clasped his feet and they worshipped him. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I want us to see three truths about the resurrection this morning. Firstly, the resurrection is God's announcement of victory Second, it is the demonstration of his grace. And thirdly, it's the mandate for all of creation. It's going to be good. Strap on your seatbelts. So here we go. Firstly, the gospel of the resurrection is the announcement of victory. And really, this moment that we've just read about, as the women turn up to the tomb and they hear this instruction from the angel, go and tell the disciples, he is risen. He's not here anymore. He's alive. And as they go off and begin to share this news, this is the first real example of preaching the gospel that we have after the resurrection. The women were the first recipients of the gospel. Now, this word gospel is a kind of word that maybe has a number of connotations for us in this day. Gospel might for you be a style of music. 
Uh, for me, growing up, when you preached the gospel, it meant you went on the street corner and screamed very loudly and looked really angry. That's kind of, for me, what preaching the gospel looked like. Gospel for us sometimes loses its meaning because we don't understand what the word gospel meant in its original time. A little bit like if you went back to the time of the Romans and talked about wireless and internet, they would probably need a little bit of explanation. Gospel is the same. Gospel is like a, it's a first century word that actually to understand it, we need to go back and understand what the readers and the writers in the New Testament would have understood by gospel. And so just for a few moments, I want you to imagine that you are a Roman citizen living in the year 31 BC. Jesus is yet to be born. You are living in Rome. Rome is the superpower of the day. And probably the most famous Roman that ever lived was Julius Caesar. Okay, now Julius Caesar never actually became emperor because he was assassinated in the year 44 BC because his opponents didn't want Julius to be the emperor. They didn't want him to have all the power. And so he was brutally assassinated. And what that led to over the next 13 years was a massive civil war right across the Roman Empire between Antony and Octavian. Now, just for the purposes of this morning, this side, you're cheering for Antony. You guys are cheering for Octavian. Now, it has to be said, this side was much louder than this side. Just saying, guys, there's a challenge there. So... Now, most people in the Roman Empire wanted Octavian to win rather than Antony. Come on, guys. So now just imagine you are living in Rome at the time. Now, there is no Facebook feed. There's no Twitter. There's no Snapchat. There's no Daily Mail. Praise the Lord. Okay, there, are, there, there is no real way of getting your information other than what you hear on the jungle, jungle drums of Rome. You hear injured Roman soldiers coming back and telling tales of the war front between Antony and Octavian. <laughs> and, you know, you've got no Jon Snow with his kind of political swingometer. You don't quite know how it's going. And so if you're a Roman citizen living in 31 BC, you are living with this sense of how's it, how's it going to work out? Like, what's the end of the story going to look like? Who's, who's going to win? What should we do? What should we do, we do in the waiting? Should we, should we start businesses? Should I get married? I mean, what's going to happen if Anthony wins? Things could go really, yeah, things could go really pear-shaped. If this guy Anthony gets in, everything's going to change. So may, maybe I won't get married because there's so much uncertainty. Maybe I'll, I'll, just, I'll just wait. I'll, I'll, I'll live in kind of insecurity and fear. And so if you're a Roman citizen, you're waiting for news. For 13 years, you're waiting for news. And then suddenly, one day, a Roman herald rocks up in the city of Rome and he begins to gather a crowd and he's probably got some trumpeteers with him. And you think, there's news. We're going to hear news. And the herald unfurls his scroll and he says, it's good news. Octavian has beaten Antony. <laughs> Boo. He has won a great victory. Octavian has now become emperor of all of Rome. And in fact, the, the kind of words that they would have read out, Octavian has become one of the sons of the gods. 
He has been crowned with many crowns. He is now Lord of the known world. He has won a great victory and there would have been celebration in Rome. But you know, it was also another two years between the announcement of victory and the moment when Octavian actually walked through the city of Rome and they began to lay their laurel wreaths and celebrate his victory. Because what happens when a herald announces the royal announcement of victory, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And as people heard the herald, they were hearing the proclamation of a royal victory. And also what happens when you hear the announcement of the gospel, it creates this new time zone where you live between the victory and its final celebration. A victory has come and one day we're going to get to celebrate it fully. And it creates a completely new time zone in which you now live. And if you were a Roman citizen living in Rome, the announcement of Octavian's victory would have completely changed your whole outlook on life. Suddenly you would have thought, this is brilliant. Suddenly some security. Suddenly some certainty. I'm going to get married. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to build friendships. I'm going to get involved in my city. I'm going to live without fear now. There's certainty. I've got security. I know what's coming. Suddenly a victorious broadcast changes the way that you think because you're living between the now and the soon to come and the victory guarantees the celebration that's what the gospel does and so as the recipients of that first bit of good news and as Jesus says listen go into all the world and proclaim the gospel what they were to proclaim was the victorious announcement that Jesus has now become king of the cosmos and that his resurrection is the final proof that he really is who he always said he was the son of God with power Paul says in Romans 1 verse 4 that through the spirit of holiness, Jesus has been declared to be the Son of God with power through his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the heralds, which is now you and me, get to announce that all of creation, guess what? Jesus is now king. He's become emperor of the cosmos. He's won the victory. You now live between the victory and the final celebration when one day Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead. You live in a new time zone. Hmm. The gospel is the announcement of victory, the victory of the king. Do you know, when Winston Churchill began to announce the end of World War II, he was really preaching the gospel. (laughs) It was a sign. It was a sign of a bigger, a greater reality. D-Day has already happened, and V-E Day is on its way. You live in the now and the not yet. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course for us, the resurrection means that we now live in a completely different way. Now that you know Jesus is king, he's been crowned with many crowns. He is seated in the place of all authority. He's he's not like a, a Trump or a May. He's not like a Ronald Reagan or a Margaret Thatcher. He's not like a Julius Caesar or an Octavian. He's not a leader that's going to come and go. He's not a leader whose kingdom is going to wax and wane. His dominion is going to last forever. He is king forever. He has announced his victory forever. It is finished. Therefore, the way that we live now has to change. For example, stop living in fear. You've got nothing to be afraid of. Jesus is alive. And he's bigger than your fears. 
Get involved in society. Get involved in your neighbourhood. Get married. Build great friendships. Invest in community. Get involved in the nations. Heed God's call to go to unreached people groups across the world. Do something with your life. Live differently. Why? Because the king is alive. And one day he's going to come back to see how we lived between the victory and the celebration. The gospel completely changes. It alters our way of living. We live from victory. Can I encourage you to stop being a pessimist if you are prone to being a pessimist? I would suggest to you, if you struggle with pessimism, it may just be that you are listening to the wrong news report when you get up in the morning. Because yes, there are troubles. Yes, there are struggles. Yes, there are things that are difficult. Yes, there are things that are perplexing. All those things are true. But listen, we live from the perspective of victory. Which means even in some of the toughest things of life, even things like death and mourning and pain, actually we can view from the perspective of the empty tomb. So this week I've been at a funeral this week and also my best friend at school died from cancer this week. He's my best buddy in sixth form. Same age as me. But he was a believer. He loved Jesus. Do you know, even in those moments, you can actually look death in the face. Say, death, where is your sting? Your sting has now been removed because my king is alive. My king is alive. And even in the mysteries of this life, there's another life where he will wipe away every tear. He will right every wrong. He'll remove every sorrow because he's making all things new. And that's what the resurrection tells us. It's the announcement of victory in Jesus. But secondly, the resurrection gospel is also God's demonstration of grace to us. How many of you understand that the word gospel does not mean good advice? It means good news. And yet so often as Christians, we turn the gospel into good advice rather than good news. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need good advice. I certainly need good advice most days. I mean, I was just thinking of an occasion where I arranged recently to play tennis with my friend Josh. And uh, I texted him. I said, let's meet at Bedford Park and play tennis. He's like, yep, all right. And so I got in my car and I drove to Mosbury Park. At which point I thought, I'm in the wrong place. I said we'd meet in Bedford Park. And so I got in my car again and I drove to Russell Park. (laughs) Who does that? I mean, who does that? While I was at Russell Park, still thinking it was Bedford Park, I waited on the tennis court for 10 minutes. And I was thinking, where is Josh? Where is he? We tried to get in touch with each other. Eventually he called. He's like, where are you? I'm in Bedford Park. He's like, are you? He said, whereabouts in Bedford Park? I said, I'm standing on the tennis court. He's like, that's odd. So am I. I can't see you anywhere. (laughs) At which point I had a revelation. I'm in the wrong park. (laughs) Now, I need good advice most days. And that is an example of how I need good advice. I need serious help every single day. But the gospel is actually not primarily good advice. It's the announcement of good news. It's the announcement of something so significant that has already happened that you have to live differently in the light of it. (laughs) 
So the gospel is not something that you do. It's something that has been done for you. Making the babies cry, even though that was good news. N.T. Wright says this about the gospel. He says, preaching the gospel is not like offering people a new type of torch so that you can see better in the dark. It was rather like saying the sun has risen in the sky. If only you'd open the curtains, you'd see that you no longer need a torch. I'm going to read that again because some of you are still thinking, what does that mean? So here we go again. Preaching the gospel is not like offering people a new type of torch so that you can see better in the dark. It is rather like saying the sun has risen in the sky. If only you will open the curtains, you'll see that you no longer need a torch. In other words, so often we depend on our efforts, on our ways of connecting to God. Our little torch, this little light of mine, I hope it shines a bit brighter. I better perform a little better, do a little more. This little torch trying to connect to God. But the gospel is not that. The gospel is the sun has risen in the sky. Open the curtains and live differently. That's the gospel, not that. (laughs) Do you understand the difference? And of course, Scripture is full of advice of ways that we now live in the light of the gospel. But the gospel primarily is a message about God's grace. It's something that he has done that you had nothing to do with. (laughs) How many of you know when you face someone who's dead, you come to a realisation of how puny your human efforts really are and that there is nothing that you can do to bring a dead person to life. I've got a 100% success or failure rate so far of praying for the dead to rise from the dead. I've prayed for three people who died and I've prayed for them to be resurrected. None of them yet have been raised from the dead. But I did obey Jesus every time when he asked me to pray for them. So success or failure, depending on how you define success or failure. I remember praying for my next door neighbor when he had a heart attack and his daughter ran next door and she said, I think my my dad's dying. And we rushed around, gave him CPR, on the phone to the paramedics, but also praying that Jesus would raise him from the dead. How many of you know, in those moments, you realize only Jesus can do this. I cannot do this. Only he can. And there's something about coming face to face with the gospel of the empty tomb that you realize this didn't have anything to do with me. (laughs) This had nothing to do with me. This was all on God. This is pure and utter grace. I cannot pat myself on the back for following a few instructions. No, this one is totally on God. You know, and as John meets the risen Jesus on the island of Patmos in Revelation, Jesus says this to John, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I now hold the keys of death and Hades. And it says, John fell on his face as though he were dead. Why? I think it was not just a revelation of glory. It was a revelation of sheer grace. You were dead, but now you are alive. This is grace. And this is so different, again, from so many of the messages that we live in our world, which really have much more to do with karma than they have to do with the gospel of grace. So karma is this. You do good things, you'll come back as a nice, fluttery butterfly in the next life. You do good, good things will happen. 
You do bad, you'll come back as, I don't know, an amoeba or a bacteria or something nasty. You know, that's karma. That's how karma works. You put good money in the slot, good things come out. You put bad in the slot, bad things. That's karma. That has nothing to do with the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace says this. Jesus gave you the free gift of eternal life as a gift of grace, despite of yourselves. You were dead, now you're alive. You were lost, he found you. He sought you out. You contributed nothing other than your sinfulness. But he came for you because he loves you. It's a gospel of grace. Grace, 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 grace. Undeserved favor. And the resurrection and the empty tomb is God's declaration my kingdom is a kingdom of grace. It's a kingdom of grace. Being a Christian does not start with behavior modification, but a grace transformation. <laughs> Maybe you've come in thinking, you know, what is this Christian malarkey? You know, what do I need to do to kind of join the club? Like, how do I get into this thing? You know, how many minutes should I read my Bible every day? You know, how often should I pray? You know, what should I do? And so often people come to faith in Christ and immediately they're given a list of 10 things that they must do. Now, it's not that those things are necessarily wrong, but if you think that that's how you enter the kingdom, you've not really heard the gospel. The scandal of the gospel is he saved you in spite of yourself. <laughs> He didn't save you and you were nice and cleaned up. He saved you and you were dirty and stinking of pig swill. That's when he found you. That's when the father wrapped his arms around. He said, come on in. Come on in. Come and see the empty tomb. Let me embrace you. Let me accept you. Come into my family. It's the gospel of grace. Lee Strobel says, Jesus did not come into this world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. And that's grace. And then lastly, the resurrection gospel is also God's mandate for all of creation. Jesus, when he met his disciples before his ascension on, in, in Mark 16, he gave them this mandate. Mark 16, verse 15. He said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. All of creation, not just individuals, not just nations, but all of creation. In other words, the resurrection gospel is good news for the whole planet. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the first piece in the jigsaw of God's recreation project. The project that Adam lost in the garden, but Jesus resurrects at the empty tomb. Jesus has got the plan of the Father back on track, which is to fill the earth with his glory. Do you understand that when we ask God for heaven to come, we're not asking for a place, we're asking for a person. Because God does not live in heaven, heaven lives in God. There is no heaven without Jesus. Heaven is not a geographical place, it's the domain and the rule of a king. And so when you say, let heaven come, you're not asking for Switzerland to come or for Bedford to come. You're asking for the domain of King Jesus to come, the place where he rules and he reigns. And God's project was to bring heaven to meet earth. And one day on the day when he comes again, there will be a marrying of heaven and earth and he will recreate the heavens and the earth into one. That's why you will no longer need the sun or the moon to light your way because there will be no division between heaven and earth. 
Oh, that was good theology. I did enjoy that. (laughs) The good news is that Jesus came into creation to transform it. And again, this is very, very different sometimes in the perspective we have as Christians. Very often I hear people say, well, the world's a very dark place. It's getting darker and darker. As it gets darker and darker, the lights will get brighter and brighter. How many of you know that that sentence actually doesn't make sense? If the light's getting lighter, the dark can't be getting darker at the same time. That's not how light and dark work. But Scripture says, actually, the where the end of the ages is heading is a place where the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of God's glory, just as the waters cover the sea. And the resurrection is God's first sign, I have come back to my planet and I'm recreating it. It's good news for all of creation. It's good news for arts. It's good news for your workplace. It's good news for your neighborhood. It's good news for politics. It's good news for this next general election. It's good news for Syria. It's good news for Iraq. It's good news for war-torn places. It's good news for politics. It's good news for science and for sport and education and the environment and universities. The resurrection is good news for all of creation. Because the resurrection says God has come to bring dead things back to life. And that is why you have a heart that burns to bring things back to life. Why? Because you are a child of the resurrection. And bringing things back to life is just what you do. That is what you now live for. And that is why when things are dead, that feels alien to you. Because it should. Because you're on this planet to bring his resurrection glory to bear. That's why you're here. It's not just to get to heaven. It's not just to beam me up, Scott. You're getting me off this nasty planet. No, 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 no. The reason Jesus came was to get heaven to earth. As N.T. Wright says, heaven's important, but it's not the end of the world. (laughs) Some of you need to think about that. The gospel is good news, not just for individuals, but for whole industries. We had a great story recently from Alan Scott, who's the leader of a church in Coleraine in Ireland. And a friend of his one night had a dream, and he was a, he was a scientist and into kind of scientific research. And one night he had a dream to cure strokes. And in this dream, he saw uh, what Alan Scott called a minimally invasive device, which is like a little stent that you put in someone's uh, brain when they've had a stroke within the first three hours, and it reduces the effects of the brain clot on your body and on your brain function. And he gets this revelation in a dream, just one night. Wakes up the next morning, kind of writes it down, draws it, and to cut a long story short, he finds some venture capitalists to invest in this particular project, gets it into research phase, and they found that if you use this brain stent within the first three hours of having a stroke, it minimizes the effects of a stroke 100% of the time. Isn't that wild? 100% of the time, if you get that thing in within the first three hours of someone having a stroke. So anyway, they begin to kind of patent this thing and take it to market. Two years later, he sells his stake in the business for $100 million. And so he starts praying, Jesus, where do you want me to invest this money now? And that very night, he has another dream about another invention that's going to affect a whole area of industry and healthcare. Do you know that the kingdom is good news for whole industries, not just individuals? <laughs> Another speaker I heard recently, Johnny Enlow, he was sharing how he, for many years, was a missionary into Peru. 
And he did crusade after crusade in Peru for, for uh, many, many years. And one year he had this revelation. I've been coming to this place for more than a decade. We've seen huge numbers of people respond to the gospel. We've seen stunning signs and wonders, blind eyes opening and just stunning kind of miracles. He said, but I suddenly had this revelation. The nation isn't changing. There still seems to be just as much corruption, just as much injustice, such as much uh, kind of pessimism in the nation. What's going on? And God began to speak and say, listen, you need to not just preach the gospel of freedom for individuals, but also start engaging in society because the gospel is good news for creation. (laughs) And so he began to pray, Jesus, give me something which will impact a nation. Open a door. So again, by revelation, he has a dream of a map of Peru. And on this map, God shows him where a hidden zinc and salt mine is. Just in a dream. Just imagine if God did that tonight. Shows you where a hidden coal mine was in England or something. Well, he gets this. And eventually, a door opens for him to see the leader of the nation. And he shares this revelation. It leads to them finding this hidden zinc salt mine, which then injects $5 billion into the economy of Peru. How many of you know suddenly the gospel started to be good news for a whole nation, not just one individual? See, you may right now be starting to push the boat out and asking God for words of knowledge for individuals. Do you know the principle for whole industries works exactly the same? Why couldn't it be that God gives you a word that unlocks a whole industry? It's the same father speaking the same words. He's just looking for someone or listen. Go into all of creation. Johnny said this. He said, revival is what takes place in your free time. Reformation is what takes place in your intentional time. In other words, it's not enough for us just to preach the gospel of freedom to individuals. We must also think, how can we govern according to the rules of his kingdom? How can we bring heaven to earth? For example, media. If the media system on this planet works through fear, how does the media system of heaven work? I tell you, it works on good news. That's why Paul says, whatever is admirable, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is noble in this world, if anything is praiseworthy or good, think about such things and the peace of God will fill your hearts. That's heaven's communication system. It's good news for all creation. I guess the question for you this morning is, where has God placed you to bring this gospel? Where has he placed you on this planet? Where has he placed you to bring this announcement of victory? You are like the herald rocking up in first century Rome and saying, I have got good news for you guys. The king is alive. He's come. His work is finished. The door is open. Come in. See, the sun has already risen. Open the curtains. Throw away your torches. The king is alive. That's the message that you and I now carry. In conclusion, Clarence Hall says this, the resurrection of Jesus changes the face of death for all people. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Easter says you can put truth in a grave, but it cannot stay there. The gospel is the announcement of victory. Why don't we stand together and let's pray.
just got a couple of minutes before we release parents. Let's just engage with Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I just want to extend my invitation to open your curtains <laughs> and just see perhaps for the first time this morning that Jesus is alive. He died for you. He rose for you. He paid the price with his blood for everything that would separate you from knowing him. And he rose to life so that you could live a new kind of life. So again, just encourage every eye to be closed in this room right now. If you want to start following Jesus, perhaps for the first time this morning, I'm just going to pray a quick prayer. I want you to pray this in your own heart if you want to start opening the curtains of your life this morning to him. Jesus, I thank you that you came for me. I thank you for the gospel of grace. I thank you for this announcement of your victory. And Jesus, this morning, I just open the curtains of my heart this morning. And I thank you that you have won for me. Your victory is enough for me. Your blood pays for my wrong. Your blood paid the price. And I want to follow you from this day forward. I want to follow you. I open my heart, I say, I do believe that you were raised from the dead and that you are now my King. Come and fill my life with your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Just while every eye is closed, if you just prayed that prayer with me, perhaps for the first time, just quickly stick your hand up. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front or embarrass you. I just wanna know where God's moving. Thank you so much. Anybody else who's just responding, you just prayed that prayer for the first time. Thank you, Jesus. Just raise your hand high. Thank you at the back. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your work in this room this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Just for the rest of us, I just want you to just take a moment to just freshly breathe in the gospel of grace that he's done it for you. He's done it. It's finished. It really is finished. If you've been living pessimistic or fearful, just change your mind this morning. Change your mind. Say, Jesus, I hear your news report. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. Scripture says, if God did not spare his own son, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? There is nothing that he cannot do. There is nothing impossible for him. Even death has lost its sting. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you have just been living off good advice, but it's not been enough. Just come back to the good news. Come back to the good news. He's done it. He's done it. Be like those women at the tomb. Just hear that announcement. He's risen. He is no longer dead.
he's alive. Come, Holy Spirit, bring revelation right across this room. Thank you, Jesus.